0: In association with the Museum of the Antiquities Project, this is Ancient Rome Refocused with your host, Rob Kane. History for the Brave Welcome to episode 27 of Ancient Rome Refocused. Today on the show we have Dr. Jerry Toner, fellow and director of studies in classics at Churchill College, Cambridge. Cambridge is a city in eastern England, home to the prestigious university, which dates back to 1209. Professor Toner is a director of studies in classics. His research looks at Roman cultural history with a focus on history, as he terms it, from below, which takes in plebeians, women, slaves, and the non-elites of that culture. He has written a fascinating book called The Roman Guide to Slave Management, a treatise by nobleman Marcus Sidonius Falx. I have on the line Dr. Jerry Toner of Cambridge University. He has written a book titled the Roman Guide to Slave Management. Dr. Toner, thanks for being on the show. It's a great pleasure. Just so you know, I've read your book three times. <laughs> I really liked the book. Uh, I take it off the shelf every once in a while and give it a read. And I think the best thing about it is the angle that you chose, that it, you wrote it in the form of a self-help book. In fact, your book reminds me about something that I saw on Wikipedia or possibly Google. No, no, the first time I saw this was on a public television presentation of I, Claudius, where uh, uh, Caligula lends to Emperor Tiberius a a book. Written by a uh, author with the strange name of Elephantus, and it turns out that the book is a sex manual. So somebody <laughs> somebody <laughs> decided to uh, write a how-to manuals back then, but you already know that. Um, yeah, could you take a little time and uh, tell us about your book?
1: So the Roman Guide to Slave Management is a treatise that uh, I didn't write in a way I. I gave voice to a fictitious Roman nobleman called Marcus Sidonius Falx, and it is written as a Roman, uh, and he gives you all of his tips and advice on how to uh, manage the slaves that you would uh, undoubtedly have in your family uh, if, you were a, uh, if you were a wealthy Roman.
0: My name is Marcus Sidinius Fox, of noble birth, whose great great grandfather held a consulship and whose mother hails from an ancient senatorial lineage. Our family was given the name Fox, the claw, for our stubborn refusal to give anything up. I've served with distinction in the Sixth Legio ironclad for five years, campaigning mostly against troublesome Oriental tribes, before returning to Rome to run my affairs and my substantial estates in Campania and the province of Africa. My family has owned countless slaves for countless generations. There's nothing we do not know about the management of them. In order to write, For a non-Roman audience, I have been compelled to use the services of a certain Jerry Toner, a teacher in one of our miserable northern provinces, who knows something of our Roman ways, but shares few of our virtues. Indeed, a man so soft, I have never encountered outside the servile class. He has not once fought in a battle, can scarce drink a small amphora of watered wine, and even stoops so low that he himself will clean his baby's backside rather than leave such foul tasks to the slaves and the womenfolk. He is, however, most blessed to be married to a wife of great beauty and intellect, though she is perhaps more forward with her opinions than a woman ought to be. To whom I am most grateful for ensuring that the meaning of my text is clear for you barbarian readers.
1: Um, And then I provide some modern commentary just so that you can understand some of the uh, strange and slightly uh, difficult things that he says uh, and I can uh, and so that I can tell you where some of those sources come from.
0: I take it the Romans wrote extensively about managing slaves?
1: There, there are a number of um, agricultural uh, manuals that survive, three in particular by Varro, Columella, and Cato, uh, and they give uh, advice on how to manage your country estate, uh, so how to manage everything from farming to harvesting, and as part of that they include how, you, how do you go about managing your slaves? So the Romans uh, gave, well, wrote advice books on all kinds of, of matters, uh, whether it was, um, uh, well, farming to architecture, uh, Vitruvius's famous guide, uh, or there are handbooks of astrology, all kinds of things. So uh, they, they're they always handing out advice uh, and they, they give advice about slaves too. The kind of sources that I looked at well, there are um, you know, these handbooks about uh, farming slaves, but there's also a lot of information in the law books. Uh, because slaves were seen as assets uh, and could be expensive assets, often there were issues about, about property law. And, and so there are numbers of laws that uh, detail how slaves could be treated, uh, what you could do, what you couldn't do how they could be punished. So there's a lot of information I could get from uh, Roman legal sources. But I also try to get more sort of strange, uh, you know, slightly different angles from other sources. So there are plenty of papyri, for example, that survive from Roman Egypt that deal with issues about slaves and runaway slaves, um, but also interesting information from... For example, Artemidorus uh, wrote a book on the interpretation of dreams. Uh, it wasn't Freud who first interpreted dreams. It was, it was uh, back in the Roman Empire. Um, and often slaves feature in that. And it tells you something about the kind of, you know, it gives you a window into their psychology about how they thought about slaves and how they thought about, you know what they thought about if they dreamt of slavery.
0: In your book you created a fictional character. Now, you had chapters interspaced explaining the history of it, but you brought us into the world of your Roman slave owner. So I'd like to know, how did you put yourself into the proper mindset of a Roman that lived during that age?
1: Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, it, my, my aim was that uh, my, my research basically looks at ordinary Romans, if you like, non-elite Romans, which, of course, includes slaves. And I think a lot of people I find when I teach them are almost overly familiar with the Romans, that they think they understand them because they've seen Gladiator and uh, they've seen sort of some classical buildings. But in fact, I want to sort of emphasise how different the Romans could be. And I think slavery was the institution which really, highlights just how different their worldview was from us how do you get in the mindset of a sort of big ancient slave owner well I mean I read the ancient sources we've got lots of sources that are written by wealthy Roman landowners so we can actually get in there in their sort of mindset what we don't have sadly is we don't have any view from the slaves we don't have any sort of uh, memoirs by slaves who were free because no one was interested in what they had to say.
0: If a sculptor wishes to make a great work of art, he begins by searching out the piece of stone that most perfectly suits his purpose. So too, The slave owner must realize that it is only from the right kind of human material that he can ever hope to fashion slaves who display the desirable characteristics of cheerfulness, hard work, and obedience. It is vital that he takes the greatest care in selecting the best slaves in the market, ensuring that they are free from defects with their physical, mental or moral. Here, I shall instruct you on how the best to go about the difficult task of buying a slave.
1: So we have, um, from 66 BC, uh, the orator Cicero is defending a man called Cluentius against a charge of murder. Um, and as part of it, he describes how a few years before, uh, Cluentius had been uh, accused of his, by his mother, Sassia, of murdering uh, her husband, his stepfather. Um, and as part of her attempt to find evidence against him, uh, she has three household slaves tortured. Now, it was perfectly legal uh, and indeed acceptable for her to do that. Um, and she almost certainly brings in a kind of outside contractor who would have done the torture for her. Uh, she brings in a range of witnesses so that any evidence that they give under torture will be uh, heard by witnesses so that they can then uh, go to court. Uh, but it doesn't work um, that the three slaves refuse to give any evidence against Cluentius um, because it wasn't true. Um, but she doesn't give up. Uh, she waits to, she waits a few days and has another go. And Cicero says that the torture went Uh, beyond anything imaginable. Um, And it was so horrible that even the witnesses walked out. They decided that this was no longer uh, a quasi-legal investigation. It was just simply uh, revenge. Uh, And so uh, Satya had to give up, but not before one of the slaves who she uh, didn't trust. She had his tongue cut out uh, so that he couldn't sort of give any uh, bad mouth her, as it were. And then uh, she had him crucified.
0: Well, that brings up an interesting question. How did the Romans look upon slaves? Were they Did they consider them subhuman or just unfortunates?
1: It's an interesting question because you do get a range of uh, views. Um, on the one hand, you have, um, I mean, there's one famous quotation that describes a slave as a tool that can speak, uh, which would imply that they see them as 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 completely inhuman and yet you have writers like Seneca who talk about how one should sort of empathize with slaves when you uh, give them horrible things to do because they are they are human just like we are now i think most people probably came in the middle of that that they they certainly didn't sort of have much sympathy for their slaves but they also uh, didn't view them as things, as objects that they could simply treat uh, like Sassia did. It's um, in the time of the Republic when Cicero was talking about Sassia, it was legal to do what you wanted to your slaves. Effectively, you could you could torture them, you could kill them. But under the uh, emperors, uh, a, a range of restrictions is brought in so that you have to actually apply to a magistrate if you want to have your slave Uh, executed uh, or tortured and we might like to think that's because the the Romans started to become a bit more humane towards their slaves but probably it was actually more the case that people were looking to emperors to set the limits of what was considered normal acceptable behavior in all areas of life that as the emperors sort of became more established people said right well how can you treat your slaves and they put some limits, I mean, not many limits, but uh, there was at least, uh, you know, some limits on what you could do to your slave.
0: As an aside, let me tell you of an embarrassing incident I had with an old doorkeeper when visiting an old friend's villa. I went up to the entrance where a decrepit slave was keeping watch. "'Where on earth did you get hold of him?' I asked my friend. "'What possessed you to steal a corpse from a graveyard to guard the door?' But my friend said to me, "'Don't you recognize him, Marcus? It's Felicio. We used to play together when we were children during the Saturnalia. He was the son of my father's manager, Philostasius.' and we were all playmates. I had no idea what he was talking about. You are completely mad, I told my friend. How could this toothless old crone have been a contemporary of ours? My friend's look said it all. It is true that we have all been wearied by the passing years, but the life of a slave had certainly taken its toll on Felicio. But then, I'm surprised my friend remembered him at all. He was, after all, only a slave boy. You know, I'm trying to recall some reading that I did, and I I seem to recall a story about a Christian monk that jumped into an arena to, to try to stop a gladiatorial uh, combat between two fighters, and if I recall correctly, it did not end well for him.
1: It didn't, though. No, he was stoned... To- death. Uh, So it's in the early um, uh, fifth century. And um, supposedly this was the uh, the occasion which led to the banning of the gladiatorial games. So that's um, much later on when the empire had become uh, had become Christian. Um, But it shows that just because the the empire had become Christian, it doesn't mean that there was an outbreak of uh, Christian behavior.
0: So I take it then that with the development of Christianity in the Roman Empire, uh, people just didn't go and release all their slaves then?
1: Uh, No, that's right. I mean, the Christians had a very different attitude towards slavery, um, which partly came because uh, from the fact, obviously, that Jesus had been more interested in the meek and the poor. um, And so it seems to have attracted many uh, converts from the sort of lower classes of Roman society, and some of the very words they use. I mean, master in Latin is dominus, you know, and that was the same word that they would use uh, of the Lord. Uh, equally, uh, redemption to get to get redemption in Latin was the same word that was used of a slave buying his or her freedom. So there was a, a, a fundamentally different approach to slavery. Uh, from the early Christians, but you see uh, quickly uh, in Paul's letters uh, that they don't want to provoke confrontation with the Romans. So Paul advises slaves to serve their masters with all their hearts. Um, Sure, they will get benefits, rewards for this in heaven, but uh, they should not be subverting the legal order uh, in the Roman Empire and when a, a runaway slave called Anasimus uh, uh, made it to Paul, uh, Paul was very careful to send him back to his owner, Philemon, with a letter saying, be very gentle to him. But he was not going to break the law uh, by, uh, by harboring a fugitive. Now Later on, when the uh, Constantine converts in 312, uh, the empire starts to Christianize quite rapidly. And there are some changes so that there are laws that are brought in to uh, say that you cannot split up slave families and you can't sell the the children away from the parents, um, that you can't sell them into prostitution, Um, and ones like you cannot brand a slave, a runaway slave on the face because the face was made in the likeness of God, but you you branded them on the leg or the foot instead. So it was a, a perhaps a marginal improvement. Um, and it certainly seems the case that wealthy Christians carried on owning slaves. Um, there's no sense of an abolition movement. It's just seen as too normal and ingrained a part of social life to be even questionable.
0: Are there any late empire celebrities that could trace their ancestry to slavery?
1: That's a good question. And I couldn't think of any. Uh, There were a couple of sort of famous uh, late Roman people who had been slaves. Uh, The one who springs to mind is is one of the early popes, Pope Callistus in the early third century, had actually started out as a slave um, and he had actually been condemned to the mines, uh, allegedly for financial fraud, although this is all written up by uh, by a, a rival of his later on. Uh, but he was freed from the mines, which was itself lucky because normally that was really seen as a death sentence. Uh and he 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 works his way up through the church and eventually ends up as as Pope. Uh, so that's about as high as you could get in the in um ancient religious circles.
0: You know, I just thought of one uh during the time of Sulla. That would not be late empire, would it? No, that's that's republic. Republic, period. Uh, Roscius, the actor, who I believed was a Gaul. Um, Of course, that's not the first time someone um, raised their social status through the entertainment industry, would it?
1: No, I mean, the Romans had a sort sort of sneering attitude towards anyone who sort of worked to entertain others. And so often they were drawn from the slave classes so whether it was gladiators or charioteers or actors uh, um, they were often started out as slaves and that was a route for them to acquire great wealth Uh, perhaps the most famous one was Diocles who was a charioteer in the early second century um, and retired um, and earned uh, 43 million sesterces, I think, if I remember rightly, which is um, an extraordinary amount of money. It would have made him one of the uh, richest men in Rome.
0: I don't know if I'm putting this in the right way, um, because uh, this question about slavery, it was a different age, a different time. But why was it accepted so readily? Was it because of the violence that took place in that era? Or... Um, Was it because uh, of the many peoples who couldn't feed themselves and slavery was an easy solution? I mean, I I just kind of wonder, do historians ever grapple with this and uh, why the institution of slavery just was like an everyday occurrence? Uh,
1: The Roman law book uh, says that the word slave, service in in Latin, came from the word meaning to save, and in other words, that they were all prisoners of war who had only been allowed to live uh, because the conquering general had decided to save them. You know, Their lives belonged to him um, and he had chosen magnanimously to sell them into slavery. And I think it's because the ancient world was one where there was just constant warfare. That was the standard mode of international relations. Um, and so... To lose in war was to suffer total defeat, and as part of that, uh, you could become—I mean, normally the women folk and the, the, the young children would simply become an asset, uh, part of the, the plunder of the conquerors, uh, and so would be would be sold into slavery. And I think it was such an ingrained part of, of life in the pre-industrial world that that was why it seemed perfectly normal and nobody ever questions it. I mean there's no abolition movement, there's no, there's not a source that at any point says uh, slavery is wrong and even when the empire becomes Christian it's not until the very end of the fourth century that there is one source, Gregory of Nyssa, who possibly suggests that slavery is wrong. It's slightly unclear what he's hinting at but even then he was a kind of lone voice for most people, it was just literally unthinkable uh, to imagine a world without slavery.
0: In Roman literature and in uh, plays, the slave is always looked upon as with a sense of humor or a sense of uh, s- sarcasm. Uh, was this a way of dealing with uh, uh, their, uh, I hate to use the word sin, but not, but not sin, I wouldn't use it in the ancient world, but the... the to deal with uh, what they were dealing with on their own, to to make fun of something that was in so serious or or how they saw as uh, it was a way to deal with their own perceptions of slavery?
1: It's possible, although
0: I don't think I would be quite so generous to the Romans. I,
1: I think they they laugh and mock at slaves because they see them as almost inherently laughable, that they find their low status as being sort of worthy or deserving of, of being mocked. I think also what's going on in a lot of sort of Roman plays and comedies is that there's almost a message to masters that the slaves that you find are often very cunning, um, they're lazy, they're trying to outsmart their masters. And the message is really, look, you know, you need to be careful here because otherwise you're going to be the fool and it will be your slaves who are outwitting you. Um, So I think um, there is, behind that laughter, there is more fear that slaves are going to gain the upper hand.
0: Is Marcus Sidonius Fox due to write any new books about his world? He is indeed. I'm finishing it
1: at the moment, actually. Uh, He is writing his grand tour of the Roman Empire. Ah, where he decides to embark on a a tour of the entire empire to see its greatest sights. Um, And so he goes to Greece and up the Nile to see the great uh, um, uh, buildings of the Pharaohs across North Africa and into Spain, and all the way up to Hadrian's Wall in the north of Britannia. And so we have um, his accounts of all the many varied, wonderful things he sees. But of course, all peppered with many of the problems of travel in the ancient world, uh, whether it was sickness to how many slaves you should take with you to the problems of and risks of
0: of shipwreck. Do you have a time frame on that when it might come out?
1: Uh, and that is due out uh, in the spring of next year.
0: Can you tell us something about the classics department at Cambridge? So Classics at Cambridge
1: is um, probably the second biggest department in, in the country. Uh, it has consistently ranked number one in the government's research exercise. Uh, we take about a hundred uh, undergraduate students every year and um, it's always prided itself on taking sort of innovative approaches, uh, always trying to do look at the ancient world from new and different angles um so it's a very sort of exciting and um up-to-date place to be
0: i appreciate you answering questions about your book that uh it would be great if you grant me another interview on his travels yeah and uh, I'll, I'll be delighted to so uh, um let's keep in touch all right all right then Sections from the Roman Guide to Slave Management was read by the permission of the author. The music titled Returning to the Surface was obtained through the website Freesound. See you next time on Ancient Rome Refocused.